we primarily focused on the first 10, the Bill of Rights, and we really honed in on Amendments 4 to 8, which are about the, the criminal justice system and you know the rights you have as an accused person of a crime. And in this unit, we are we are reading 12 Angry Men, which is a play that is between 12 jurors discussing whether they find you know this person who allegedly committed murder innocent or guilty or not. Yeah. And it's it's actually this is one of the more clever ways to deliver this content because the play itself is scripted so that there are twelve roles so twelve kids of the class can each take a role of the juror ah. and we have a table read and and we are reading and you know acting some parts out as the story unfolds and we are also you know we are reflecting on how do certain things that the jurors say reflect you know different amendments different rights people have also you know what kind of biases and you know how do beliefs sway how one person perceives what a witness uh, um, um said you know and how do they interpret that right and hello you're listening to the courage to create podcast the show that our oldest son who is a high school junior talks about education if you're new to the show, you can check out the introduction episode where I explained why I decided to start this project. Due to the Thanksgiving holiday, the school was off for 9 days. This week was the beginning of the last 4 weeks of school before the semester ends. Isamu talked about civic lessons, upcoming internship for high school junior, and continuation of his thoughts on the role of education. So this is week 14 and there is so much to talk about. It, first of all, it has been a wonderful week. I have enjoyed this week by far more most than uh, any other week, I'm pretty sure. That's cool. Um, and so not only is what I'm doing in class amazing and I love it, but also uh, the conversations and like dialogue that I have within the school setting not necessarily in class but you know with teachers and friends and whatnot all of that is just it has been such fruitful dialogue that's made me think that's made that's challenge you know my my assumptions and my beliefs um and so all of that has been incredibly wonderful and I think start off with this week we just got back from break and so we're entering a new new kind of unit so to speak we don't have enough time to do a project until the end of the semester but we are starting um some new new content areas and the first thing we're doing is uh u.s government and civics which is just incredible an incredible field that i am super passionate not really passionate but like super fascinated by um and i think it's so so important and especially you know within project-based learning at this school there's no set curriculum so you never know when you're gonna get you know this information but i'm so glad that we are at least doing it you know even if it doesn't turn into a full project we're at least learning the you know basic grips of how does our government work how does america function and whatnot and I was actually, there's a book, um, The Power of Their Ideas, and it does talk about this idea of sort of democratic citizenship within schools. And I think that is super pertinent, especially in the current, you know, political state of America to understand what it is that, you know, um, how politics works, how government works, um, and, and really get a grasp for that. And one side tangent is interesting because I don't take notes on anything. <laughs> yes. 
I mean, even if it's math or humanities, or, you know, even with government politics, you know, I look around the entire class and everyone else is like taking notes on, you know, what the Senate is, what the House of Representatives is, what are the three branches. And for me, it's like, I'm just so fascinated by that. I remember it. Um, and I don't know if just is like a, this is a function of, you know, good memory or just like the curiosity allows that to happen but for other kids you know and I, I totally understand it that you need to take notes in order to you know memorize these things but for me it just like it, it just sticks to it because it's so interesting and it's just like I'm just in awe of you know everything and I yeah that is mostly a function of my you know curious personality but that's just an interesting you know difference that I've observed between myself and other students but anyway going back um not only are we so we read the constitution uh, well when i mean read you know briefly went through it mm. and mostly our teacher you know talked through us about you know what do these words mean what does you know tranquility or you know justice what are what do they imply within you know um governments and we went through the different amendments and so uh we primarily focused on the first 10 the bill of rights um and we really honed in on amendments four to eight which are about um you know criminal the, the criminal justice system and you know the rights you have as an accused person of a crime and in this unit we are we are reading uh 12 angry men which is a play that is between 12 jurors discussing whether they find you know this person who allegedly committed murder innocent or guilty or not yeah and it, it's it's actually uh, this is one of the more clever um ways to deliver this content because the play itself is scripted so that there are 12 roles so 12 kids of the class can each take a role of the juror ah. and we have a table read and, and we are reading and you know acting some parts out as we are as the story unfolds and so it's really interesting um and it's a bunch of fun um because you can you know do that little acting so that, that that element is incorporated in it and we are also you know we are reflecting on how do certain things that the jurors say reflect you know different amendments different rights people have also you know what kind of biases and you know how do beliefs sway how one person perceives what you know a witness uh, um, um said you know and how do they interpret that right and and I, all, all this is kind of coming together and it is really um it's really reflective of what real life is like you know real life is messy you know politics is messy government and law is messy or it can and can be sometimes and we are actually be able to simulate you know these things and so and there was also one other thing we did um the first day we did a legislative simulation where you know we split the class into the senate and the house of representatives and you got aside you got assigned a political party and so you had to kind of you know uh base your decisions and opinions on that and we kind of simulated you know you have we have four bills and we had them run through it and you know given what your sort of background is that you were assigned you know how would you vote for it right and we kind of did that back and forth and no surprise uh, none of the bills passed um, <laughs> during that, you know, yeah. session. And so, you know, it just goes to show, sort of, it demonstrates how, you know, modern democracy works and how, you know, contentious issues or things that lean too heavily on either right or left likely do not get through. And you know, a really fun fact that I learned today is that over 10,000 bills are, um, are are shown or seen each session and about only 3 or 4% are actually passed. Wow. So... So in Congress, um, and so that's just yeah, that was mind blowing, and I mean it goes back to that note taking. Like for me, that's so fascinating. I'll remember those numbers. But for others, of course, you have to write it down. Um, but anyway, that is just so that has been my humanities experience this past week. Incredible stuff. I'm loving it, and also the discussions that we're having. Um, 
although you know up to up to uh, Thursday you know it was more or less you know in the very uh, more or less easy area to teach um, but then uh, today actually Friday we uh, went into a we had a lesson on the political spectrum right which always gets contentious for many reasons um, but it's mostly framed as you know this is what traditionally or historically is you know what these two parties believe in these are the values they have and it really got me thinking you know obviously teaching the political spectrum is necessary it is important it is it is really important to understand you know what generally speaking both sides are saying why certain laws lean towards one or the other so you you we have to know these things right yeah and yet at the same time when i was in that lesson I mean, from the moment, you know, the teacher, you know, writes, draws a table where it's left and right, and then you start listing out the economic policies or social um, things that, you know, each side believes in. Yeah. It just continued to make me think that we are continually reinforcing the idea that there are two parties. Hmm. Or like, not, not that there are two parties, that is you know, a fact, but that the two parties believe in these things and that they are associated uh, exclusively to these, you know, two different buckets, so to speak. Yeah. And of course, you call it the political spectrum, right? But we can say spectrum, and yet, you, you, you that's kind of a, uh, almost like a euphemism for um, it's either this or that, right? Right. Yeah. And finally, and I also have uh, I take strong issue in splitting economic and social issues into two things. I think that's partly why we are in this predicament in terms of like economic inequality because you can't think of, you know, economic inequality and economic injustice siloed as just an economic issue. It's also a racial issue. It's also a gender issue. You need to incorporate all these things if you want to actually build interconnected and holistic solutions. And yet too often, we split these things and say, okay, yes, you can be fiscally conservative, but socially um, liberal, right? Mm -hmm. And yet it, those buckets are just very misleading. And I feel like just are, do more harm than good. Um, but that's another story. And so going back, I was thinking, you know, is there a better way to teach political spectrum, right? And at this point, I, I really don't have a solution. Um, but I feel like, you know, just stating, like, I, I think it's obvious why, um, you know, politics becomes more polarized and politics is continually and will be divisive is because in the schools, we are teaching that there is a left and a right mm. and that this is what they believe. Like, of course, it's going to further reinforce that there is a left and right and th these are what they believe in yeah. if that's what we're teaching in schools. And yet, if you really actually talk to people, you'll realize it's not like they have a label that says, you know, right or left and that determines the kind of person they are. Yeah. It's not the case at all. You can't, you can't, you can't oversimplify, you know, 316 million people of experiences into either this or that. Yeah. And yet we have like every time we reduce it, you know, on a whiteboard where you have a table that says left or right, this is how it, the outcome comes that they're like results in. And I, I just feel like, you know, there is there is some rethinking that could be done there. You know, if if truly America, it wants to be more unified rather mm -hmm. than divided. Yeah. Right. And. Mm. It's, yeah, that's just a whole nother uh, thing. And, you know, it comes to the idea of like binary opposition. Like if I'm this, does that mean I'm not that? Mm -hmm. Or like if I'm not that, does that mean have to mean I am this? Right. Yeah. And of course, you know, the spectrum supposedly supposed to account for this of so being like moderate or centrist. Right. But like, you know, people are going to either ask you or you're going to have to decide which side you go into. And that's just a, you know, very it's, it's already a limiting, you know, attitude you have towards uh, the current you know, state of politics.
But that's a topic for even in another day. So let's move into sort of the second big, big ticket item this week, which is it is officially the start of Haidekai internship. Oh, and okay. so yep. X block, yeah, right, X block, um, which is which happens at the last period of um, of Tuesday and Thursday. It is now, you know, unfortunately, us 11th graders no longer get an X block. We have the internship um, stuff. So during that time, we are, I mean. We are trying to find and secure internships and then being able to craft that into something that's meaningful. And so internship is essentially, as it sounds, um, you have to intern with some organization. Um, but what makes this a little different from, you know, other just the traditional colloquial term for internship is that, number one, this is a graduation requirement of this school. So if you do not complete high tech high, uh, if you're not if you not complete the internship, um, you will not get a diploma. Secondly, um, it's interesting. This internship is it happens at the same time for everyone. Um, so it's I think from uh, I think March to June. Yeah, something. Yeah, during that it's period. Like a one month, yeah, right? it's a one month um, event where all eleventh graders will not come to school for an entire month, but instead they will be out in their you know respective sites and the organizations they're involved with, um, and hopefully doing you know meaningful work. And which leads to the third thing, which, which is that this is not just you know. Uh, a high schooler is 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 getting used to do some menial labor, right? You can't, you can't just be filing papers all day or whatnot. They have designed this program intentionally such that we need to have an internship project that's been you know crafted by both the student and the teacher and the mentor, and so you're actually doing something substantial. You're actually contributing to that organization in some way, and it needs to be substantial. And it does. It needs to be substantial. Yeah. And so, you know, all of this is the internship experience, so to speak. And so right now we are still in the preliminary phase, which is we got critique on, you know, our resumes, um, which supposedly we made last semester, um, which I, I didn't even remember. So I have to update that, of course. Um, and we're also, we took a score, um, uh, principles U test, which is like an assessment on, you know, what passion or field you might be interested in, oh, okay. or, you know, what kind of personality it might suit you. Um, I did those tests, um, the answers they got were terrible. Um, I would not be interested in any of the careers they suggested. What so, did he say? For uh, example, I don't know. Like a, a, I mean, it said like a religious or educational director. So that might be some kind <laughs> of right. Um, but then for some people who was interested in finance, it said like aerospace engineer, which he had no interest in. So you know, I mean, take take all these with a grain of salt. But yeah, you know, these are all just tools to try to help figure out yeah. you know what the student might want to do. And so that's the first part. And then eventually, and I think, you know, in the weeks that will come, we are going to have to start, you know, emailing people, contacting organizations, seeing if they're able to, you know, accept an intern. And, and because of the substantiality of this sort of, you know, internship, it's also like, you can't just, it's actually a, bur a burden on the part of the organization to actually accept this, you know, intern, because you have to have you have to make a project out of it. And so it's not like you can just tell them to, you know, bring me the coffee or whatnot. You actually have to build something substantial out of that. Um, but anyway, that's sort of the progress uh, update on that. And yeah. I had a one question came from a listener, mm -hmm. uh, which was about the fashion project. Oh yeah. Um, so it was, I think the particular person who was asking this question was, very like with um, enthusiasm following the journey of the passion project right and you spend maybe like three minutes talking about it at the oh, yeah. passion, um show 
And I guess he wants to know more about, like, you know, the was there reflections or, you know, like, um, if you are to rate this project mm. or all the projects you have done, like, what did you like about it, what you didn't like about right, it, right, right. that kind of thing. Yeah. If you could say a few more words. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, I think that's a, a good string loose end to tie. Um, I would rate it probably a, a 8, 8.5 out of 10. Wow, that's really high. Yeah, I, so, I mean, from the get-go, this project is one of the more epic projects of, you know, in High Tech High because your little exhibition is a fashion runway with the entire school watching. So that obviously immediately increases the stakes and it, it, it motivates you to make, you know, high-quality, produce high-quality clothes and work. And so that's really amazing. I think the process, however, um, I think, I think, and this is such nuance because, you know, you can create the most, the, the quote, best project out there. And if a student isn't in the right headspace or point of like, if, if it's not the right moment of time in their life, then sometimes it just won't stick the way you might want it to, right? right? And you don't always have, you know, students who come with a clean slate and have nothing on their mind and are like ready to accept things. You know, that's obviously never going to be the case. And so no matter how hard you try, that's always going to be a limiting factor. Yeah. But you can always try to do, you know, your best with that. And I think for me, actually, at the start, I don't think I was as receptive because I, I did not have, you know, I, I wasn't, I guess, in the right headspace at the time because I had a lot going on in my mind in terms of education and stuff. And so, especially because, you know, they filled it with a bunch of history, of right. American content history. Heavy, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a very content heavy first month of, of this project. And so that probably, you know, and maybe it's just my unreceptiveness at the time, but that probably was an aspect of the project that I would say that I didn't particularly like too much. Um, just because, you know, you're going through these slide decks and a bunch of historical facts and information, which is definitely important, but not the best, I would say, best way to sort of kick off, you know, a project. You know, I think it should have been more like melding the history here and there with different aspects. And, you know, well, and here's an interesting thought. It's like, instead of having, you know, a lecture of history with like, you know, 30 students, why not with like you know, a small group of four to five, just, you know, every once in a while throughout their project, have a little you know, mini lesson, so to speak, of like, here's a few things that are interesting about history and relate back to what you're doing hmm. in your project. And that could be, you know, a really interesting way of, you know, not forcing everyone to have to take in all this knowledge, but like really specializing and focusing on certain things. Um, but then towards the end, you know, I, I I really enjoyed the creation project uh, creation pro process of our outfits um, because you, you really do have to stretch your imagination in terms of what can your clothes actually translate to sort of the topic the fashion movement you chose um, and so that was awesome and I'll be it was kind of rushed towards the end because of course every project is rushed towards the end so yeah. in terms of like the rehearsals and stuff you know that was very quick paced and whatnot um, and the one sort of I guess um, reflection point is the uh, research paper was I think a heavy burden on everybody because your you know your formatting has to be to a T you know and it's like <laughs> yeah. a very academic paper Chicago style Chicago style which is you know it's not no one no one really wants to write you know academic papers and I really didn't think it was the best use of our time what I much rather have done was like 
let's actually film, you know, a music video in our uh, clothes, yes. right? Instead of having the music video, quote, quote, music video being like a bunch of images on the screen. Yeah. Let's actually film a music video, maybe even make a short film or a documentary, you know, because we're such a, this is such a visual project. Why are we writing academic papers to test our knowledge? I would have I rather see. see like a visual medium to like, you know, you know, prove that we actually did our research behind this. Um, and so that's kind of the one reflection I, I would, I would take to that. But overall, I think because of the uh, exhibition and, you know, the high success of that it sort of pencils out everything you know that was not so good that came before and so for from my perspective you know in retrospect i think it was a net positive did somebody coach how to walk because they, they look so amazing i mean not necessarily because they look they, they seem like they owned that okay doing well yes model. we definitely yeah. rehearsed so many times yeah. and, and probably people have got yell, yelled at by the teachers really? yeah well definitely so yes <laughs> in that sense yeah we did go through it and i think the teachers um definitely did that it's also like when you have a room of 400 eyes watching you right you know you're going to put your best yeah self was, out there i mean i and saw so, i we were very impressed okay so yeah, then that's wonderful uh, and i think you know that is a testament to the nature of this project all right So finally, I think we'll get a little bit into um, some of the fruitful conversations that I've been having uh, this this past week, and it is a lot. So where do we start? Where do we start? I think I'll start with this. I've said for a long time that there is an inextricable relationship between the economy mm. and education, Yes. right? And I mean, traditionally, education is sort of a pipeline. Um, such that you know you you produce competent citizens, competent workers um, that will you know contribute growth to the economy and you know fill those jobs that are out there, and and of course we can always get to you know the supply and demand relationship and whatnot. But coming back from that, I think the question that I've been sort of deliberating on is what is the purpose of like an ideal school? Mm. Because on one hand, yes. We do need people who are competent, who can who can work, who can fill jobs, and you know, as an economy, as a society, you know that's definitely a, a part of an, an aspect of what school should be. But also, there is an element of we want people to find what they're interested in, and sort of nurture that passion, nurture that interest, right? And sort of you know find their path in life. Yeah. And I, I lose this and use this term very loosely, but like you know, it's called college and career readiness, right? So the idea is that, you know, you, you find, or we, we, we're helping students get into college, which is supposedly putting them on the right trajectory such that they can succeed later in life. Mm. And, and I think what's not talked about often enough is like financial viability of people because, and like, if you ask high school graduates, what is it that you, you add value to society that someone would pay for, I think a mass majority of them would not come up with, you know, a lot of great ideas of what they want, like, what do they have? And I think part of that is because they're betting on the fact that college will give them those, you know, skills or knowledge or, you know, talent or whatever, yeah. such that they are going to be worth, you know, someone else's money. And that's, a, I, would, I, would, I would claim that that's sort of a dangerous line of thinking because it's not wrong. For sure but you're kind of hinging on the fact that it's the college degree you know that certification that's what's going to make you valuable yeah but what you do when you think like that is are you are, are you are you gonna sort of 
are you not going to hold yourself accountable to the fact that, yes, a, a degree is important, but it's also how much you put in the work yourself and how much you try to improve and develop your capacities, your skills and whatnot. And that isn't necessarily attached to college yeah. per se. Yes. Like for me, in my experience, I've already disassociated my learning with school. Right. What I mean by that is I don't come to school to learn. In other words, if I'm not learning, that isn't school's fault at mm. this point, right? I can, I mean, with the current, you know, internet, there, the information is ubiquitous out there. I can go figure out what I want to learn by myself independently, regardless of schools. In other words, I'm not waiting on the teachers to teach me what I want to know. Yeah. And unfortunately, for a lot of students, I think that's what they're doing. They're just waiting until, you know, some class, that right course or whatever, that professor tells them what they need them to know in order to become, you know, successful in life. But if you're always waiting for an opportunity to come present itself to you, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, either you're extremely lucky or that's likely not, you know, not going to be a, a good use of your time. And so that's why I always, you know, try to proactively put myself out there and always try to proactively learn. So if I'm curious in, you know, game design or, or fashion journalism or whatever, I'll go down that rabbit hole. Even if it doesn't serve me in the long run in terms of financial viability, yeah. it doesn't really, at this point, it doesn't really matter. It's just exploring the curiosity. And I don't think students do this enough because they've already been conditioned to think that school will provide them everything they need. Mm -hmm. As long as they follow the rules and play the game that they will get what they want and that's unfortunately not it's just not the case um and i want to make schools more so that they you know that is the case but also i want to make schools such that you're able to teach these students that you know an institution is not the solution to everything right there is some work that you need to do inside yourself internally and being able to facilitate that and foster that and provide resources and guidance to that that's why i think you know actual schools should reflect more of um Yes, but anyway, I think this idea of sort of capitalizing on one's talents or abilities is extremely, extremely important to um, teach. And so I guess one case study, um, and this is all anecdotal, but I heard a podcast of a person who became a notary. And so a notary is a person who like facilitates contract work. It's yeah. essentially like, you know, make it official, right? Make it official and, you know, prevents fraud and whatnot. And so there's this one person, one guy who who decided, you know, as a side hustle, I want to try to go into the notary business. And when you say notary to someone, I mean, let's be honest, most people don't even know what a notary is, <laughs> but they actually make good money because the demand is high and it's scarce. Yeah. And and not many people know how to do it. And it really only takes, and, and to get a license to become a notary is not that difficult. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of the you know, insider secret. It's not that difficult if you know what you look at, right? But just most people don't know. And so this guy, you know, he figured it out on his own. He he was the one, the first person who did it. He was pioneering, well, not really pioneering, but, you know, for himself, he was pioneering that, you know, you know, getting the right training and then getting the right license and then actually doing the work. And, you know, he was getting paid, you know, good money, probably in the thousands of dollars. Um, and this is a very easy job. You know, all you do is, you know, sit there and facilitate contracts. It's like, it doesn't take that much. And then... I think, you know, either uh, someone he knew or like a someone like a business partner almost came in and he's like, we can probably capitalize on this skill because I I think it was like some guy wanted him to teach how, him how to become a notary. Yeah. And then in doing that, you know, you know, it was just like a Zoom meeting. Right. And that's all it took yeah. for him to, you know, learn how to become a notary. It's because yeah. it's, it's not that difficult. And then and then that guy was like wait, we can capitalize on this because seriously, this is like a, a good way to make money. Yeah. And, you know, 
and it's not that difficult and people want to know this information your information is really really valuable to others yeah and so they started that they started this you know online business where it's essentially you have a you know webinar and you can charge people for this and and i think it's it's really it's, it's a really interesting thing because you know for a normal person i guess or for someone who is not so don't, doesn't have an entrepreneurial mindset you would think once you become the notary yourself that's it you're that's you're good you do, yeah. right but then the entrepreneurial, you know, the business side of things is like, okay, how can I expand this to more people? How can I help more people, you know, acquire this skill and actually, you know, create value and, and bring themselves money and, and make themselves more economically secure? And then not only are you making other people more financially secure, you are also increasing the revenue for yourself, right? Yeah. And so it can spur this whole new, you know, idea and, and this growth. And I think for a lot of kids, especially, or for just people in general, they don't have that extra, you know, step because they've never seen it before. Because mm. we don't teach it in schools. You're not exposed, You're not to, exposed to this, you know, side of things. Yeah. And and because of that, a lot of times, you know, I, I think, and it, it is kind of tough to say, but like in a capitalist society, financial security is, you know, everything, right? I mean, it's not everything, everything, but it is a huge part. And the more people can think about their talents as something that should be capitalized on and something that should should lead to financial security, the better off they are wanting to develop and hone that skill and actually recognize that, you know, that's what they have of value to society. And yet not often people talk about it like this enough. Mm. And so people are led to believe like, yeah, I'm just as good as someone else would pay me and I just get a very normal job. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also think in this day and age, you know, people should have an entrepreneurial spirit um, um, because, you know, society is better if everyone is financially secure. Yes. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, yes, that's a whole nother thing, but I also had a very interesting conversation that sort of intersects with this, which is that I was talking to a friend of mine and he, and so he does not know what he wants to do as a career because I think he has sort of a belief that a career is a, a certain, like you can only do certain types of work for career mm. and then other stuff you can't really make into career. And so I, I was asking him, you know, what are your passions? Because that's really what I want to know, right? That, that's the first question I would ask if I want to know, you know, what someone's career might be. Yeah. And, and you know, after, you know, getting through, like, some of the uh, basic stuff, he really went on this, you know, very, you know, 10 minutes feel almost on what he was super passionate about, which is... Um, so at his church, he's he is sort of uh, he's he wasn't the youth leader, but he does the work of the youth leader. Yeah. And which is that you know you're helping um, young kids you know find their purpose, find their pathways in life, and just helping them through that struggle. Um, and like and he was talking on and on about it, and it was really really captivating and yeah. wonderful. And you know that's kind of aligned similarly to what I want to do, um, you know, in the education space, right? Um, and. And and yet, for him, you know, the 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 attitude or mindset he had was that you know that he wants to do that out of a serveness, out of a noble service, essentially out of the goodness of his heart. He wants to provide that, and he he does know that there is value in you know helping that because he has the experience. Yeah. But he does not want to capitalize on that. He doesn't want to you know take money from those people because of that. And so he wants to be able to do that as you know almost a free service I because see. he was saying yeah. If I was, you know, financially secure and I didn't have to do it for money, I would still continue to do that work because it is important to him, right? And I mean, that's and that's completely awesome, and I love that. Um, and super, it's a super noble undertaking. And here's sort of the the advice or the mindset I I offered him because I've actually been in a very similar place, which is, you know, this sort of 
re redefining education such that it's better for all young people, that's also work that I would be doing regardless of whether I was getting paid or not. And I still, and I, and I do it, even though I'm not getting paid now. But the the mindset I had and sort of how it intersects with like capitalism or you know financial security and whatnot is that if you are enabling that person that you are helping to become more financially viable in the future, yeah. then you are producing economic value there. Yes. And so you shouldn't feel bad about quote like taking their money because it's not really taking their money. That is an investment for them. Yeah. Right. And so because of that, you can, you, you should be charging them, right? Because a, if you're not charging them and you're not sustaining yourself, you're of no help to people. Oh, so number yeah. one, yeah. you know, you need to be of helpful to others. You need to sustain yourself. That's the first reason yeah. you, know, you can you know, charge. But the also reason is if you are setting them up for success later in life, such that they can make more money themselves, that is totally worth it. Because in the long run for that person, if you're you know, actually good as you claim to be, that is an investment for them. And this goes with all sorts of things, you know, education, job training, vocational trainings, right? It's why, you know, things cost a lot of money, you know, sometimes, you know, education because it, the hopes is that in the future they are going to become more successful than that so going back to the, the example of the notary business right this guy can charge 500 dollars for like a 90 minute zoom session hmm. for many people okay. that's a lot of money for one person to have right yeah. but for that notary or that in-training notary that 500 dollars is so worth it because in the long run once you learn those skills you can make many tens of thousands of dollars of revenue in your future yeah right and this is sort of the mentality or mindset that i think we should be approaching education which is that we want to make Make sure the kids who go out of this school have the skills and resources and knowledge and talents and you know ambition and whatnot to foster their skills and develop you know that financial viability in what they want to do in yeah. the field that they're passionate about that's i think the golden um scenario of school and so this is yeah all i've been thinking about in the past you know few days and all this is wonderful all this is still theory right but it's, i think it's a really really good theory and this, I, you know, I've been having these conversations with people and, you know, one teacher was in the same classroom we were doing this. And so at the end of our conversation with, you know, a student, um, he was, he offered, you know, one little, I guess, nugget of, you know, um, insight or some, something to ponder about is that he also agrees, you know, with this philosophy that, you know, if we could, if we had total, you know, free reign over our school, we would want to create the structures and spaces such that, you know, we don't have to send, you know, everyone to college, but we can have people have different pathways and whatnot and pursue those things yeah and yet it all goes back to money which is where does the school receive its money yeah funding yeah and what are the strings attached to this money and i've heard like and i i have in fact confirmed that i can totally see how part of our funding is getting a certain number of college graduates right. to college right and so that percentage is a real motivator for this school and i think it's why we have a hired specific college counselor who's literally only job well not only job but like the job description he has is to get people through college yes. right and our funding as a school hinges on 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 our kids going to colleges right and i'm not even going to go into the whole spiel about you know how that's a function of privilege because essentially what you're saying is like you're the funding for your school depends on students potentially going into debt you know and like paying for that college yeah. right and if you if that's you know a string attached like kids having to pay thousands of dollars is the way you get money that's a whole other thing anyway <laughs> going back to this idea of you know funding yes it, like the strings attached like you know it's just a it's just a pain and i and i totally get it because 
it's not even like their fault. It's none of the school's it's fault. It's the system. It's the right? system, yeah. right? This is how the world works, yeah. right? They want to see numbers, and unfortunately, most of these are rooted in very traditional values, you know, of what you know, it, what what they assume to be the metrics of quote success in this world is. And if you're not, you know, passing the threshold of certain percentage of classes, supposedly you're failing as a school, is what essentially a society tells you. And so, no wonder kids also adopt same beliefs because the system is literally built that like that from the funding up. And so that permeates into all parts of the system, right? And for, all the way to the mentalities the students have, you can kind of draw the line from how the funding is done. And so, you know, first of all, systems, everything's interconnected. But also, when I heard that, that's, that's totally true. And then I got to thinking, you know, I'm a very rebellious or, or forward-thinking person. So, like, the first <laughs> thought that came to my mind was, like, okay, can we find funders who truly believe in the mission of helping young kids succeed, right? But are not sort of rooted in the traditional metrics of assessment. Hmm. But rather, are there funders out there? And I'm, I'm optimistically, I, I think there are, you know? There are funders out there who will pay schools to operate in a way that uh, enables them to find their creative passions and talents to pursue them and foster them and become financially, uh, you know, available or viable yeah. in the future. And I think, you know, that's... Um, that's something that I really, I really want to, you know, focus on. I actually want to, you know, research that and figure that out. Like, yeah. is that, is that even possible? Who are they? And, you know, how do we get in contact with them? Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from of like actually changing it from, you know, the, the ground up or, you know, top down. I don't know. I don't know the words for it, but like, it's actually not that un unfeasible to actually change how these structures work. Because if you can find those funders, you know, if you can figure out how to get them on board, and if you can replace them with sort of the current metrics or funders we have, you can actually start making serious change. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have to target. And so once you know where to look, you could probably, you know, given enough resources, time, energy, effort, whatnot, you could actually make some tangible changes. And that's kind of what I'm hoping uh, to do. Um, so yeah, innovative, resilient leaders, hopefully uh, will come out of this okay i think that has been uh, quite the journey so yeah it sounds like nine days off from school did a lot of oh yeah for you. oh yeah oh yeah and this week of school has as i mentioned at the start been been really wonderful so i've thoroughly enjoyed it um and i think yeah um the year is almost ending but i think it's been a really great time um uh, especially towards the end of the year and so uh, okay. i'm super fond of that Alright, thank you. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The internship he talked about is from mid-May until mid-June. The email from school says, This is a rich opportunity for students to actively develop a new piece of their identity through sustained involvement in a new context, which is workplace. Students who participate in internships are more likely to make informed choices about colleges and careers. We will hear the development of his plans for internship in coming weeks. As usual, please share your thoughts and questions for this podcast. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.